Hello. Hi, Mom. Hi. I'm hearing Dad. Okay. He's, he's on the other phone. I'll go in the bedroom. Okay. Oh, I saw your recent interview. What do you mean? I'm trying to start it a little back and forth, and you're not getting oh, it. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. So, so you heard the interview? <laughs> yes. Your latest interview with Philippe. Map. Uh, it's called MetaMap. MetaMap. Very clever idea. They all seem clever. Everyone that you talk to. What did you take out of this one? Well, he was an immigrant to this country. I think he said he came to go to college. And I think he stayed after that. But as an immigrant, it was hard to rent an apartment or buy a car or get a job. It was hard to establish financial credibility. Yeah, he had trouble establishing credit and trust. And he realized this was a problem not only for many people in the United States, but also around the world, especially when you're trying to establish a person's trustworthiness in emerging markets. Which is tough for the companies because they go into a country that they don't know how to get this information and they're floundering around and they don't know where to go. Yeah, I think you got it. That's what MetaMap helps with. Right. Yeah, it was very clever. I always thought that I could come up with this really clever business idea. And then I thought of the handheld vacuum. This was so many years ago. And then I realized there already was one. Meaning all the good ideas are taken? Exactly. So if there's a laundromat down the street and you want to open a laundromat, well, there already is one. But not everybody adheres to that because they think they can do a better one. Mm -hmm. I guess that's why some people are entrepreneurs and other people are not. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin. Before I worked with Philippe Victor, CEO of MetaMap, I didn't appreciate how hard it is for companies and people to answer basic questions they need to answer to transact with each other in most of the world. Like, are you who you say you are? What financial resources do you have? What's your job history? These answers are hard to get out in most countries. Even in the US, where we have centralized credit bureaus like Equifax, a huge part of the population isn't in those databases. And do we as individuals really want companies like Equifax going behind our backs, collecting and sharing our information anyway? Philippe co-founded MetaMap in 2017. They recently announced a $70 million Series B to make it both easier for businesses to get the information they need without regard to national borders, but also give individuals more control over how they share that information. But Philippe initially found it difficult to neatly sum all this up for investors and the businesses that MetaMap sells to. At first, he would say, I was a user that couldn't access services. I couldn't access uh, Coinbase. I couldn't access Robinhood. You know, flying into SFO airport, I couldn't like rent cars. I couldn't rent apartments in San Francisco. So I had to like pay all years up front forced to sort of borrow money from, from my parents and stuff. So that was just like really frustrating. And by the way, the reason you couldn't get all these things was why? I'm, I'm originally Polish and I've been an immigrant since I was 14 years old. I moved to the UK and then I later moved to the US for university after which I stayed. So I've been in the US now for 11 years, but for this entire duration, I had issues opening those accounts, uh, getting credit and just getting additional services from, from those companies. Once I understood this problem from the merchant, uh, point of view from the builder. I think that was the moment when I realized that this is currently solved very poorly. It was very expensive and manual. And I, I felt like this, this can be solved much better. At the time, I was sort of on my way to be like an academic scientist, but I, I was working on computer vision 
And I didn't understand why this problem was done manually, like with call centers. And this was generally explained to me by big merchants like Airbnb and others, that uh, there is no way to make this go faster. And so I felt like this was kind of strange. Here I am in the biggest country, by biggest economy in the world, in this sort of mecca of technology. And people are looking at my passport manually, and it's taking two weeks, and I keep getting rejected from things. And and of course, the, the branding of the company became we make this process go faster. This process is known as KYC. And KYC, just for people who don't know, means uh, know your customer, which is a name for that process of authenticating people and being, seeing if they're trustworthy and they are who they are. Yeah. So initially, the way you're telling the story is really from that point of view of the person who's being authenticated. Like, hey, this is not fair. We need to help these people and need to make it faster. Why did you feel you wanted to change from that? Yeah, well, I think this is generally true of all brand. We certainly have talked about this a lot, but whatever you're selling and whatever you're convincing other people of, it's very important to be just authentic. And when I experienced these pain points, it was really frustrating. But the problem was that I was speaking to businesses primarily from the consumer and the user point of view. You were basically saying, hey, you should do this because it's good for people like me who deserve better. Right. You know, we were explaining it to businesses financially as well. They understood the impact on, on their churn and, and, and whatnot, but it was not inspiring enough. They would buy one of the KYC vendors, but they were comparing it feature by feature. And not only do you not want to be in a situation like that as a business, but it's also not inspiring. It wasn't inspiring to me. And I certainly didn't sign up to just run some uh, small compliance company. So that story set you up as, oh, we're another KYC company and the buyers are basically, okay, let me compare it to the other KYC companies. Right. I think every company deals with this to a larger or lesser extent, depending on the complexity of the space. At the very beginning, you get compared to whatever is the closer analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for a company like Uber, they'll say like, we're kind of like a limousine, but you know anyone can use it and it's not expensive. And that's a close enough analogy at the beginning. But if you say, we're like a KYC, but it's faster and automated. People had a lot of baggage when they would hear the word KYC. So I wanted to get away from this baggage. And so we decided to take a more abstract version. And so how do you tell the story now? So we help merchants scale and, and grow borderlessly. What do we mean by borderless growth? We want merchants to accept users from anywhere beyond borders and accept a variety of sources of data beyond traditional data silos. So you've turned it from, hey, authenticate your users better to the main message is, hey, this is about growth. This is very much from the business point of view. And this is specifically about the reason it was hard to enroll people is because every time you go across a border, you have different ways of authenticating someone and finding out, are they trustworthy and all the rest. Mm -hmm. And you've turned that from, hey, you should do this because it's nice for those people (laughs) into hey, this is growing in a borderless way. Yeah, I think this is right. We mainly talk to merchants uh, and they generally don't know how to recognize a good user because they look at only a small set of identity dimensions. So they often lose a good customer. And what we're building is a Shopify for services, just like Shopify for consumer packaged goods is all about shipping and taking payments. A Shopify for services is all about user identity. Shopify is your one-stop shop for your needs as a seller of some kind of a physical good, starting from building the website, like, and then all these payment solutions, shipping, et cetera. Similarly, we focus on enabling services companies to grow globally across emerging markets, especially, but without worrying about how to set up their data policies or how to identify 
people or assess their risk. We have you know over 500 customers at this point, and uh, there's you know the big banks and 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 the tiny fintech companies and crypto companies and and you name it. Between an e-commerce transaction that has a lot of fraud, for instance, or a lending situation, or the online dating app even. I mean, we have customers like that as well. There's a lot of different types of service, services in there. You're going to need a different tool. And so, of course, we started building one by one, starting with the most basic one, proving that you are legally who you say you are. It's just a common denominator, not just in, in fintech, but really renting anything and, and getting hired. And from there, we started sort of building up more, more specific things. I guess I had always assumed that anywhere in the world you want to do a credit check, there's some kind of Equifax equivalent and of course, I learned that's not the case, that in most of the world, it's very hard to get at that data. But it's not that the data doesn't exist. At the beginning of the company, when I was talking to investors, I had to dispel a, a myth that there is no data in emerging markets. It, it is there. It just hasn't been centralized by an entity like an Equifax. It's in whatever service you're using, whether it's a bank, a telco, you're paying for rent, you're working somewhere, you're, you're using a gas and electricity. It's all just there. Meaning the telephone companies in these countries or the landlords or whatever, they have records of these payments that people are making. But I don't know, they might be in a website where a login is required. It's behind a login. It's on a piece of paper. So you have this information. It's just that someone needs to go through the process of collecting, collating, organizing this very fragmented pieces of information. So a company that's trying to grow internationally, they might say, oh, well, we can't go into that country because we wouldn't be able to validate people. You're saying, hey, wait a second. What if we ask them to share their phone bill record or your Amazon account or whatever it is? That information is there. It kind of reminds me of when people go to rent an apartment or something, they'll often ask you to bring phone bills or other proof. Right. You know, except, that, like, except that when you rent an apartment in the United States, you have to like show your entire bank history yes. and your background <laughs> check. And so it's just, yeah, they, they like see everything uh, in there. Whereas what they really are asking for is, are you good for this rent? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have to completely overshare, right. which is just not private. And then Part of it is coming up with the minimum amount that they really need without invading your privacy. Right? Yes, because privacy is completely at the core of this. So if you want to be able to rent an apartment, like should you really have to show off your entire background uh, check? Probably not. If, if you're someone like me and you have money and you started a company, when you have a lot of employees and you went to school and so on, and you still you know, can't rent an apartment, and that sounds seems pretty crazy. So whether it's a company you mentioned that is trying to go internationally to these exciting markets, that's an example of companies that come to us. But the other example is just as exciting where it's a company from the place, let's say in Brazil or in Nigeria, and it's just trying to scale their own service, whether it's a financial service or, or something else. And they need to be able to understand who the people are. I think people most resonate with examples of marketplaces, like let's say employment marketplaces, like gig economy type things. You want to know who the person is that you're about to get connected to, and that has to come from somewhere. And so we help them connect the various different data sources in countries that, that do not have centralized data sources. And often companies who are United, from the United States and are trying to go into inter, uh, international markets, they, they have this sort of like light bulb that goes off and say, oh, could you do that in the US as well? So I think the privacy, I think, is becoming more about data exchange, like, can we ask the user to consent to sending us this data rather than having to go behind their back and, you know, scrape something behind in some like dark web? The heart of every narrative is a shift. Mm. And that first thing we, we worked on, the whole shift was trust is, is about compliance, not trust is about growth. 
I think you've gone to this really more interesting place now. You used to think about growth as a bordered activity, and we're going to abstract that away from you <laughs> so that you can now grow to you borderlessly. Like to you, it's going to look like Brazil is the same as Nigeria is the same as the U.S., when you're dealing with someone. Yes, I did, exactly. I mean, depending on who you're speaking to, whether it's a user or the merchant, it's just a sentence structure changes a little bit, but you're saying the same thing. Where you come from and where your data comes from shouldn't matter. That's the shift. We create a meta layer so you no longer have to view such things as obstacles to worry about. We want to make getting rejected from loans or other opportunities a thing of the past, essentially. And that's something that merchants completely understand when put in that language uh, as well as consumers. How does that narrative play a role in your leadership, even inside the company and recruiting? Your team is just another audience, just like an investor. So there are different audiences, and it's very important to really tell the same coherent story. You may have to change this or that, but it, it, it really does have to be the same narrative. An area that I'm personally focused on in the company is enabling every single person in our team to adopt the same vocabulary beyond sales and marketing. Every MetaMap team member really is, is the best recruiter for both other team members as well as customers. So the narrative just becomes this like really powerful tool to really simplify what we do. And I think this becomes more important in, in more complex industries. You recently announced a $70 million Series B. What role did mm -hmm. the narrative play in that? Yeah, I, th I think a core role. <laughs> I feel like narratives play the main role in really any fundraise, uh, including IPOs, you're essentially trying to speak to what is this big shift that people need to understand about the world. Because if you're doing something, let's say in tech, and, and it's supposed to be a scalable company, it means that the problem that you're solving is really gigantic. And as you pointed out, it's about describing the, the shift, like, so what, why now, all these types of questions. So especially if it's in an industry that people do not understand, but even more so if it's in an industry that people think they understand, but they don't actually, you have to loop them in with something that they feel like they understand. These analogies like Shopify and, and, and whatnot are, are very important. And then, you know, data privacy is becoming increasingly more important, but where is this going exactly? How does this relate to crypto and Web3, for instance? I think weaving a coherent synthesis of all these different trends and, and, and showing how we are essentially being surfaced as, as an increasingly more important infrastructure in all of these different domains was really what the entire fundraise was all about. That's why people got very excited about what we were doing. Yeah, I feel like when we talk about this shift, it's almost like they can smell the opportunity. Because <laughs> the, their big question is, why hasn't anyone else done this yet? Well, they haven't done it because there's been this big shift and we're realizing it and we're jumping on it. I think that any good company can be framed as a question. When Uber was pitching, I mean, it wasn't like, we're going to be a better taxi cab. It was a question about why is it that you need to have a medallion? Like there are these cars that people just have in their garages and some of these people would love to make more money. So why not that? Mm. And same thing about identity. If I said, we are a better KYC. I mean, first of all, people don't understand what KYC is. Um, but even if I explained what it is, it doesn't frame it in a general enough framework that can help you see the future. And in this case, the question is, why can't you use all sorts of different aspects of you um, to prove that you are financially responsible, to prove that you're going to be a good employee and so on? Why do they have to rely on one or two dimensions. That's the question from the consumer point of view. The question from the company point of view who's buying your software, would you create something along the lines of, why does it matter where these people come from? Um, yeah, or, or how do I ask? It's just like, 
that business question. It's the same thing. Why can't I access more information about the person? And, and it, the answer to this is someone needs to come in. That's a meta map that stitches together this information in format that can be easily manipulated and shared and, and permissioned and, and, and so on. Any advice you'd share with other CEOs, things that were maybe difficult for you in the process of coming up with the narrative or things you wish you'd known ahead of time that would have helped you? Yeah, definitely. The few pieces of advice I can share is do it early and do it often. Accept that your narrative will evolve. Accept that it will take years to craft. Uh, what's important is to start building their narrative muscle. And then lastly, I would say the job of alignment only starts at the end of the workshop. So training and enablement inside of your company takes constant work, including at the leadership level. You can have a great narrative, but you need to keep finding ways to embed it and operationalizing it uh, in the ways that your company works. You mean as a CEO, you're responsible for selling it? <laughs> yeah, I think you're responsible for creating like a homogeneity of understanding because sometimes people will use the same words, but they will have different uh, you know, connotations and understanding. So you want diversity of talent and, and whatnot, but you want like homogeneity of something. And uh, culture is definitely one of those things, but also understanding of what you're doing uh, and why it's important. That it just takes constant work and it takes years. This is something that I think I I didn't totally understand. I thought that it was like, well, once you come in, I'll have a conversation with you for a few hours and then you will sort of like absorb it like a sponge and be able to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the fact that it's not like that is what makes uh, company building interesting. So one really interesting takeaway from my work with Philippe is that the founder's origin story is not necessarily going to work as a strategic narrative. Sometimes you have to repackage it, like reframe it, in this case from the buyer's point of view, in order to make it work for all the audiences you're going to talk to. The other big takeaway I'll reiterate is what Philippe said about building narrative muscle. You know, Philippe refined that borderless growth narrative after our work together ended and how great when a CEO feels that they have the confidence and tools to do that, because it's always going to evolve. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Philippe Victor, Megnaman, Amory Sovich, sorry, Amory if I mispronounced your name, Pierre Antoine, Peter Henry, and everyone at MetaMap. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Linda Rust, Jana Rasmussen, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy.